0: Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. <laughs> A very good podcast. What antiques are we talking about this week? We want to talk about the incomparable Victorian pottery of the Martin brothers, also known as Martinware. Martinware. Martin the warriorware. Martin the warriorware. Uh, though none of these people were warriors, they were all artists down to their toes. A famous quote from the times in the Edwardian era about the Martins Someday collectors will ransack the town for Martin's artistic stonewares. And goddammit, whoever said that was right. (laughs) And that man, my dad. Ken's own dad said that in the Edwardian era. You might not have known that about Ken's own father. It does explain how Ken turned out. (laughs) (laughs) Which is delightful. Aww. So this story starts with a man by the name of Robert Wallace Martin, who goes to school and trains in sculpture at the Lambeth School of Art, and later the Royal Academy of Art. After a fire wipe destroyed several parliamentary buildings in London, he got a lot of experience studying under some mentors, crafting specifically the gargoyles that went on the buildings when they were being repaired. This will become important to his work later. (laughs) When he gets involved with Xanatos. When he gets involved with Xanatos and reawakens the gargoyles, and then, I guess, forgets that they're sentient beings. (laughs) And he's he's like, "Ah, Aw beans, I gotta make them like me, and I'm fundamentally unlikable. Is he? No, I love Xanatos. He's so great. He's such a a complex... No, Martin. Oh (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I'm so... I I got lost in the sauce of someone talking to me about gargoyles. (laughs) So Martin took his sculpture training and opened up a shop with his three brothers. Robert Wallace was in charge of designing, drawing, and ultimately sculpting the pottery. Walter Fraser Martin was a technical whiz with clay, actually. He perfected the glazing and painting and firing of the pieces. Edwin Bruce Martin was excellent at throwing the clay and making his own incised decorations. He is best known for fish and flowers. And boy, the fish I'm thinking of are not the pretty kind. No? <laughs> and their brother Charles Douglas was the manager who ran the shop. He did this very poorly. Oh, no. No. Yeah, the Martin brothers were best known for their grotesqueries and I think grotesque can actually be used to describe, I would say, 75% of all the work they did, which calls back a lot to Robert Martin's training and make gargoyles. It turned out he liked making gargoyles so much he just wanted to keep making things that were gargoyles. Can you blame the man? Not at all. And having discovered his work, it is so completely delightful. Delightfully grotesque? We're talking like he had missed his calling by a hundred years or so to be a Muppet designer for Labyrinth. Oh, can you imagine? They would have wept. They would have wept to have had a designer like him on board. But the thing about being a family full of eccentric artists who are all running your eccentric art store... No one's good at math? Nobody's good at anything <laughs> except making the stuff. And it turns out Charles Douglas was the weirdest by far in a family of people who were weird. Now, is he the math brother? He is the manager math brother, yes. Oh dear. You don't want the math brother to be the weird brother. You want him to be the dependable brother. You, know, you, want, him to, you want him to be sort of the fuddy-duddy, yeah. When you guys are building your D&D team... (laughs) You want him to be the tweed brother, the elbow patches brother. The sort of sour, downturned mouth brother. No, Charles Douglas was, I would say, damagingly enthusiastic about the business. To the point where, when they turned out a particularly beautiful piece, he would wait until after everyone left and hide it under the floorboards. Okay, that's a choice. And he would get angry and chase away customers because they were going to buy the beautiful things that he loved so much. Hmm. All right, that's a bold business strategy. It's not a great business strategy. Over time, a couple of decades later, the shop actually burnt down. This might be because of the method that they used to prepare their pottery, uh, although it's uncertain. By setting it on fire? Yes. And uh, after the loss of the shop, Charles had a something of a mental break and was permanently eccentric for the rest of his life. I feel a kinship with Charles as a permanent eccentric myself. Yeah. (laughs) Charles is, uh, as the children say, a big mood. So the Martins worked with salt-glazed stoneware. Which is a strong, non-porous pottery that has a very distinctive orange peel-pitted texture. It's beautiful stuff. And their salt-glazed stoneware was distinct to them because of the way they did it. And the way they did it was that they only fired their kiln once a year. Wait. And they fired the kiln without the protective sagars which is just sort of buffers that keep the flames from directly contacting the clay. Hey, I think I figured out why their shop burned down. That is my suspicion, yes. We've solved it, gang. Back in the mystery machine. Shop burning down aside, there's also the added issue that I know you've also worked with earth clay and pottery and stuff, and I bet you can figure pretty quickly that putting your clay works into direct contact with the flames results in a pretty unpredictable result. <laughs> Indeed. Which meant that the number of wares they had to sell varied wildly and not in the upper numbers. In fact, there was one recorded year where only one good pot worth selling came out of the entire year's work. Huh. Because the rest had slumped, burned, or were just hideous in a not-on-purpose way. How very avant-garde of them. A lot of what they were doing was an active pushback to the mass-produced objects you know they're working in a- 1875 yeah big big arts and crafts times yeah they're they're moving along on the aesthetic movement and sort of pushing back against mass production which is why they made sure every single piece was handmade and unique there was zero mass production and zero repetition of form over time like i said they were known for their grotesqueries which ended up spanning the entirety of their work there were face jugs which is kind of the the standard of a grotesque pottery I will say the Martin Ware face jugs are extremely unique and every single one that I've looked at is hilarious. Delightful. Satirical punch-like caricatures of political figures, including Disraeli, Benjamin Disraeli and Sir William Drake. <laughs> and generally just uh, naturalistic figures as was very common at the time, but kind of with their own twisted spin. Welcome to their twisted mind. Their very hot topic senses of humor. Yeah. I wouldn't call it hot topic. It's too genuine to be that.
1: Wow. Listen. In case you wonder what the podcast's official stance on hot topic was,
0: hot topic is still a like a multi million dollar commercial, a capitalist venture. There's not a lot of authenticity coming out of it. You know, I'm not saying I don't love it. Like, I'm fucking half my closet right now, dog. But like, I'm not laboring under the misapprehension that it was artisan crafted lovingly for me. This isn't a hand painted happy bunny t shirt. <laughs> it isn't. It turns out one delightful piece. A smiling crab with a horrifying human face. So, your brand. It is my favorite martinware piece of all time. It is so good. If you look up martinware human face crab, it actually comes up because other martinware enthusiasts are very much like on the level. They get it. They know what's down. It's such a beloved piece that in 2019, the UK banned it from being exported from the country as it was considered a national treasure. (laughs) We love this hideous crab. The single hideous fucking crab, the UK looked at it and said, that's our boy and he will stay here with us. (laughs) Which is a habit I really wish the US would get in on. Just venerating horrible human-faced crabs? That, okay, so I was mostly referring to the broad concept of banning items of national significance from being exported. Um, Because we are way too free with just sort of like selling the the fine art and beautiful folk pieces of our country and just kind of like letting them go to the highest bidder, which I think is deplorable. Can't relate, but respect. But also, I do think that the US should put more focus on hideous, chittering human-faced crabs, yes. (laughs) But perhaps the Martins' most famous product was the Wally Bird. The Wally Bird. The Wally Bird. So the Martins had a very significant streak of naturalism running through. They had a lot of frogs, fish, animals. But one of Robert Martin's favorite things to sculpt was birds. And no specific bird, just the Wally Bird, which is a general term for a fictitious bird identified by a large, raptorial-type beak, big, big feet, huge claws... And human eyes with a quizzical or threatening expression. I love this bird. If that description put you off, like, I beg you to reconsider. They are genuinely some of the most charming things I've ever looked at. They're so imaginative. And, like, no two birds are the same. Some of them have, like, webbed feet. The beak shapes differ from, like, raptor to, like, pelican. Pelican, you say? Pelican, yeah. There's a couple of them that have big banana pelican beaks. Oh, that's horrifying. It's not amazing, (laughs) but it is.
1: You ever seen a pelican eat anything?
0: Yeah. Now, what if- Okay. And live? All right. Actually, you know what? Let's just do a fun little, like, I'm gonna do a fun experiment with you right now. Close your eyes. No. You're gonna show me pelicans. Picture a pelican. No. Close your eyes. Picture a pelican. No. The pelican's also got its eyes closed. Okay, now, are you picturing it?
1: Against my better judgment, yes.
0: Okay, now the pelican opens its eyes and its human eyes and it's squinting at you like it knows a secret. Oh, God. Oh, and also it's got talons now. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Did you like that? No. Because one of those sold for $90,000 at auction. That's fantastic. What I find really interesting is that the grotesquerie isn't, like, strictly limited to hideous portrayals of birds. It's also sort of, like, naturalist paintings, but with a sort of medieval monster edge.
1: Oh, hell yeah.
0: Yeah, there are some jugs that have, like, fishes painted on them, but the fishes have these spiky long fins that are very similar to, like, a dragon on a medieval map, perhaps.
1: Or even medieval drawings of fish, presumably done by people who had never seen fish.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I imagine you looked at a fish and you'd never seen one before. You'd be pretty scared. Heraldic dolphins are my absolute favorite. They are so good.
1: Because sailors came back and said, it's a fish with a beak. And then they took that very literally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, some of the Wally birds were actually also political figures. They did Gladstone, too. He he came in at a paltry 150. Did they do Sadstone? I would say a lot of the birds would qualify as Sadstone.
1: Dockstone? Sleepystone? Stone. Doc stone,
0: Sleepy stone, Sneezy stone. <laughs> all right, all right. We're doing a, doing a Seven Dwarves bit. Dopey stone, Doing a Seven Dwarves bit here, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, maybe. Maybe. You don't know my life.
0: (laughs) You're not my dad. (laughs) No, your dad was Edwardian. Yeah, exactly. The birds were also jars, very popularly tobacco jars, which like picturing one of these leering homunculi and then like coming closer and having it smell like unfiltered tobacco seems like a nightmare I'd have. That seems like a Dungeons and Dragons encounter. If you look these up, I guarantee you're going to use one in your next Dungeons and Dragons like puzzle. And I say this as someone who deeply, deeply loves them. It's impossible not to. But because they were ugly and horrible, they didn't do super well in their own time. You don't say. You know, it was a kitch for the Victorians, as so many things were. But you know that nobody was knocking down the walls for it. In fact, some receipts of what they were selling for was like would have been kind of embarrassing at the time. You know. But since they were A, the weirdest goddamned thing literally anyone had ever seen, and during the Victorian era, that's a high bar to clear. Something something sickening whimsy? (laughs) Yeah. And B, they were masterfully crafted by passionate artisans and very much one-offs every single piece the collector from the Edwardian period saying that people were going to ransack the town, were starting to realize that these things were high art treasures. National treasures even. And at least one leering horrible man-faced crab was a national (laughs) is legally a national treasure. Don't tell Nicolas Cage. One of the other really remarkable things about them is the colors. It's not necessarily unique to them because a lot of the glaze colors that they use are just the sort of colors that work with saltware pottery. Because it's a lot of earth colors, grays, browns. Shades of grey, shades of brown, and then blues and greens. But lord help me, the way they are fired, the blues and greens are very vibrant, jewel-toned, gorgeous. And especially set against the muddy, kind of like, general plane of the piece. I cannot believe I hadn't heard about these before. That being said, if you're interested in collecting, Martin, where... You're kind of SOL if you're in the US. On account of the whole national treasure thing? Yeah. On account of the whole national treasure thing, a lot of UK natives started buying them up, putting them in museums, private galleries. So if you're intent on getting one for yourself... First, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. Sounds like you have money. (laughs) And second, you're going to have to take a trip down to the UK. It
1: is very, very funny to me that the UK, of all people, are like, no, our national treasures should stay in our country. You can't have them.
0: (laughs) Some would blatantly call it an irony, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of counterfeits. I'm going to call them counterfeits because they are being passed off. Counterfeits of reproductions are the same thing, basically. And they're both being passed off as genuine. If you're seeing one, my immediate reaction would be suspicion. But if you're used to dealing in pottery at all, it's pretty easy to spot them because these are like considered pottery masterworks in reality, and no reproduction is going to look like a masterwork. You know, it's going to have blunt edges, no fine detail, bad glazing, dull colors, no signature, as these were all one-offs. Every single piece is signed. But it is one of those things where the genuine article is rare and difficult to find. So uh, dealing in reproductions is actually kind of its own acceptable market, as long as you're honest that it's a reproduction. I actually saw a couple of galleries that were proudly selling nice reproductions as like, hey, here's the next best thing since you're never gonna have the real one. Which I'm always fascinated when markets develop that. Just
1: everyone having a repro?
0: An acceptable repro market is such a strange thing to me.
1: Well, them and paper dolls.
0: Yeah, exactly. Paper dolls is actually, like, some of those are signed off by the artists to be reproduced, so there's even, like, a, a layer of legitimacy on top of that. I guess you could make arguments that these people have been dead for a very long time and it doesn't matter. A little difficult to get a signature out of them. Yeah. So basically, my advice is to get really rich and go to Europe. I mean, I feel like that's just solid advice in general. <laughs> that's and you know what you'll find? That's life advice. Uh, yeah, the prices on these, if you hadn't gotten the idea from now, are, like start pretty astronomical. You're looking at high hundreds to thousands for damaged pieces. But I just think it's important to know about them because they're amazing. And hey, who knows? Maybe you could be that guy that picks up a genuine one at a yard sale. It could be you. Are you the one? It could be you. It could be anyone. Are you the chosen of prophecy? Are you the chosen of Martinware prophecy? And if you are the chosen and it works out for you, maybe kick back a little to your favorite podcast for helping you out. <laughs> you don't gotta, but I'm suggesting it. For guiding you under the path to your destiny. The
1: Antiques Oracles.
0: <laughs> That's what they call us, right? That's why I hide all the, all the best podcasts that we do, As I actually, can I download them, I erase them off the server, and then I put them under my floorboards. That explains a lot about our download numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only, oh, yeah. Only our best episodes are the ones with the lowest download numbers because I stashed them under the floor. <laughs> now it's a countdown to my impending madness. <sighs> Sources for today include martinwarepottery.weebly.com <laughs> thank you weebly for making sure that your name got in that homesandantiques.com what are martin brothers pottery birds antiquecollecting.co.uk guide to martin brothers birds bbc.com and sorder that's sword with an er.co.uk martinware sorder one who swords well, yeah that sorder is a guy who's going to sword you so look out if you would like to sort us or just say hello,
1: you can email us directly, <laughs> antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. at tumblr.com.
0: If you liked thinking about that horrible pelican, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening and leave us a delightful little review.
1: Or if the app you're using to listen to this podcast does not allow for reviews, you can consider posting about us on social media. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, we have a Twitch now. We have streamed once, designing some new merch, and we will stream again soon. Keep a wary eye on our socials and the horizon. And behind you, look out. Oh, God. (laughs) It's the pelican. No. (laughs) I hate the way its entire digestive system works. They're fucked up animals, I tell you. (laughs) They're not supposed to be. I hate these dinosaurs. (laughs) Put them back. (laughs) Put it back. Take it back, Cretaceous. You can also subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash streaks, where every week we produce a bonus episode. That's right, one whole extra episode just for you. Reading and reviewing a chapter of the genuine Penny Dreadful, Varney the Vampire, or the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.